The pandemic is upending lives across the globe, and it's testing governments, systems, and organizations. Leaders like former U.S. Secretary of State Madeleine Albright say that this crisis is revealing how institutions like the United Nations are critical in the world and why they need to be fixed. We need to broaden the discussion of what national security is, what international responsibility is, and try to make the UN more responsive to the issues, which obviously means getting the nation states to be responsive. Albright is the founding member of the Aspen Institute's Aspen Ministers Forum, which serves as a leading platform for nonpartisan dialogue aimed at building upon and improving the work of key international institutions. From the Aspen Institute, I'm Amina Akhtar. This is Aspen Insight. Albright recently spoke with Jan Eliasson, Swedish diplomat and former Deputy Secretary General of the United Nations, about necessary changes and the new thinking required to tackle issues in the 21st century, like pandemics, climate change, war, and more. Well, I am delighted to be able to do this uh, really interesting conversation with one of my oldest friends, Jan Eliasson, because we were together at the United Nations. Uh, we have been uh, working together in our various roles as either ambassadors or foreign ministers. And now we are part of a really great group of former foreign ministers that has been meeting regularly uh, to talk about the issues of the day. So Jan, it's great to be able to do this with you again and to have a chance to talk over what we think is going on in the world at the moment. It's always wonderful to be uh, to see you and to be in conversation with you and we live in a in a time of dramatic change and uncertainty so uh, I look forward very much to uh, seeing what we can reach, what conclusions we can reach about the way to go forward. But first, I guess we have to focus on the problems. Right. Well, I think the problems are uh, as serious as they've ever been. Um, I do think, obviously, the coronavirus is the major issue at the moment that is showing all the various issues that the international community has to deal with, that uh, countries have to deal with internally and externally. Uh, and they really... Um, affect people in a way that we're always saying that international issues affect people, but I th don't think we've ever seen anything that is so vividly affecting people and the various institutions uh, that are there in order to be able to deal with it. And one of the things that I've been saying for a long time now is that people and institutions in their 70s need a little refurbishing. Uh, and so I do think that the institutions that we are dealing with, many of them were created after World War II. And we have just, in fact, uh, honored and celebrated VE Day, which was 75 years ago. Um, and the institutions grew out of the horrors of World War II. And so I do think it would be good if we talked a little bit about how these institutions uh, can be fixed and how important they are. And I always say, that cliche of if the UN didn't exist, we'd invent it now. There's so much at stake now uh, because we are seeing a great stress test for international cooperation. 
uh, we need to have we have to prove that the road road that was chosen back in forty five was the right road. So I think we are in a crucial period in history to really prove the values of that type of society we wanted to create. And of course, United Nations, as we both know, is the symbol and the 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 uh, key organization to uh, to to deal with and improve. I'm the first one to admit after my many years in the UN that we have problems and we are things things that we are should should be uh, reforming. Uh, you're right about refurbishing after 70. Uh, and I think some of the things that I think could be thought about is to make sure that the veto isn't used to the degree that is the case now when you see that even the call of the Secretary General for a ceasefire in the nation, in the crisis in the world was stopped in the, in the council recently, first by the Chinese and Americans, and now I guess by the US. It's rather sad. And then you have more fundamental issues like you and I have talked about in our wonderful group, the Aspen Ministerial Forum, the need for prevention, and the need for, for organizing ourselves in a broader sense. UN can't be only for the governments and the elites. UN has to be as the charter says, we the peoples, we have to get the young people in. We have talked about that also with the, our group. So we have to bring in the, the new and, and vitalizing elements in the UN. And I think the, the, the key test will now be how we deal with the uh, pandemics. Uh, security is not only military, security is climate change, security is women's situation, security is pandemics. You started out by talking about the Security Council, and I wish that I could even recount the number of hours in my life that I spent, both when I was there and then later as Secretary of State, looking about how to enlarge the Security Council or how to deal with the various rules of the Security Council. It continues to be the central uh, body within the United Nations, but it is limited by the use of the veto. And I can tell you from my own experience, the US would find it very hard to give up the veto. The other part though, and you have to remember this too, is when something doesn't work at the UN, we're able to end it. So for instance, do you remember when we put the trusteeship council into sleeping beauty mode because <laughs> the territories were gone and it didn't need it to be. And so I do think there have been changes more power to the Secretary General when the Security Council was blocked during the Korean War using Article 99. There are a number of tools that can be used. And the question is how much support, and this is the important discussion, uh, the UN has from the nation states and from we the peoples in order to take the time to, to refurbish it. For me, the United Nations is both a mirror of the world uh, as it is, and it's not a pretty place now. It was a better place then, under the end of the Cold War. Uh, but it's also a mirror of the world as it should be. So we have this uh, dichotomy. We have the mirror of the world, and it's a bad thing right now, and the mirror as it should be. So I am not at all in favor. I, I know it's completely unrealistic to think of abolishing the veto. It was the, actually the reason for the great powers to join the UN that the veto was there. Uh, I would just want the Security Council to become much more of something that you and I like, namely a negotiation body, where you can negotiate resolutions and come out with a common view. Uh, I sometimes jokingly say that the Security Council should work like the Catholic Church when they select popes. 
<laughs> they should get into a room, we could lock them, lock them up, and then only when the white smoke comes up and the resolution is ready, then we have a common view. I think we need to show that we have, we continue with the agenda that we have discussed, not least in our own group, the climate change issues, uh, peacekeeping, uh, and the kind of, uh, of formula that we need to develop to make the point that international cooperation is in the national interest. We have, we have a view now where the outside world is demonized as seen as a problem, uh, rightly in some cases, but my God, we are so much stronger when we do together, when we work together. And I think the present trend, I think we will post Corona or post, post this crisis, we will have a competition. We will have a, a struggle between those who would rather have their nation in the middle and look inward and also identify the outside world as a problem. And by that create polarization and division. And it's a pretty nasty world we would have. And then there are those like ourselves, I think, where we see the need to work together and where we buy adding our own resources to others' resources become stronger. And if we don't make that point effectively now, post-corona, then I think we will be in a huge trouble. And uh, you, I think our group, the foreign ministers group that we have, has a very important role in conveying this message right now. Something which I think was very important um, is during World War II, one could say that we didn't know what was going on in every country. Now we do know everything that's going on. Um, and so something that came out in the UN um, was this whole concept of responsibility to protect. Indeed. Mm -hmm. We have responsibilities. And by the way, one of our colleagues, Lloyd Axworthy from Canada, I do think the Canadians have always played a very positive role in terms of human security and then helping to move um, into this responsibility to protect and how that is a way to, um, uh, to, to think creatively about how things be done in terms of that relationship. I can think of a very large agenda um, that I would hope that we as former foreign ministers can be helpful uh, to the United Nations in terms of thinking about what adjustments can be made. One thing uh, that I think is are extremely important is that we always uh, analyze uh, lessons learned. And I think what you experienced in the Balkans and you were so involved and had such an important role in the Balkans developments in the 90s. And what I experienced in the UN working with Rwanda and Somalia was a, a tremendous urge to create something that would make it possible for us to stop these horrors in the future. And that was the background of the work that Lloyd and others did to prepare the ground for the responsibility to protect. It was really very smart because sovereignty is usually the reason for not getting involved inside a country. Uh, but we turned this around or they turned it around and we together turned it around and said, well, if sovereignty is so important, then we must show respect for our own nation, our own leadership. You as leaders of a sovereign nation, you have a duty to protect your own population, don't you? <laughs> they, hardly, they couldn't say no to that. So by that, you have a responsibility to protect, protect your own population. You had sort of a, a rust or a, an obstacle to, to those horrors to occur. It hasn't worked completely, but still. 
One of the things that I learned from my background in the UN was on the case of Iran-Iraq, where I was mediating for many years. I am so angry, actually, that the proposals that we had in the early 80s of that war were about the same that were adopted in 1988, when the war finally was over. And the difference is 700,000 people killed and a tremendous enmity between Shia and Sunnis now transporting into itself into the Middle East. We still pay the price for that. The second lesson that I learned is from my recent experience is uh, Syria. I was so exasperated that this went on and on. Kofi Annan was working on it. Lakta Brahimi, my own countryman, Stefan de Mistura, Italian also, by the way, worked on it and we couldn't get anywhere because it was a proxy war. It was a place where others were playing out their differences. The countries of the region, uh, Saudi Arabia, Iran in particular, Qatar, Turkey, but also in the Security Council, the US and Russia being in different uh, positions. And so I and Ban Ki-moon felt really helpless. We were criticized for not ending that war but it was a proxy war, which wasn't only dealt with on the ground, but also by countries outside. So these are, but I don't know, you, you have, you, you had such a tremendously intense experience from particularly the 90s, and you, you were really a key figure in that. What kind of lessons did you think one should draw from, from that period, or from your experience also as Secretary of State? Because I think, that's why I love this group so much, because that's a group where you can sort of sit back and think, what did we do wrong? Yeah. What did we do right? And I now think we have a tremendous responsibility to make sure that we draw the right lessons now from this crisis that, going, that goes on right now. I do think the thing I learned was that um, there are principles and values uh, that we share, but that the carrying out of a lot of issues is very complicated because the countries are in, in different places. And so, for instance, in terms of, uh, with the end, I used to, you, you said <clears throat> proxy wars. One of the things that happened at the end of the Cold War, I always talk about it, um, the earth defrosted and all of a sudden all the worms started crawling around. <laughs> all the different ethnic conflicts <clears throat> that had been frozen all of a sudden emerged. Um, and those were some of the things that we were dealing with um, in the peacekeeping operations. Now, what has been very interesting, and it goes back now to the coronavirus, and you stated, made very clear, that national security is, is a very large subject. And so for all of a sudden, uh, initially there were discussions about HIV AIDS being a, national, a problem that the Security Council could take up, and Ebola and various, we need to broaden the discussion of what national security is, what international responsibility is, and try to make the UN more responsive to the issues, which obviously means getting the nation states to be responsive. Absolutely. I think we should start from the realities of the world. I grew up in my diplomatic profession during the Cold War, and you did also, and I'm not chair of Stockholm International Peace Research Institute. We are mostly dealt with so-called hard security, military, military security. Uh, the uh, expenses, the expenditure on uh, arms is $1,917 billion a year. Uh, and it sort of says a lot that in spite of the fact that we 
see the real problems being uh, in the area of, for instance, climate change, which causes enormous problems right now with, you know, heat waves and uh, droughts and uh, rising sea levels, but also the pandemic shock. I think the fact that this was, this pandemic struck so broadly and so quickly and widely was a really strong reminder that we have to look at the real problems of the world right now. And if we don't have a way of dealing with this in an international manner and come out with some conclusions after this crisis, which, as I said earlier in the discussions on humanitarian assistance, so that we could build back better, we can't go back to the old. The Security Council must accept that the problems of pandemics, the problem of climate change, belong in the Security Council. I have in front of me, it's just by coincidence, <laughs> the charter. <laughs> and I, I always come back, like you, to the first three words, we the peoples. If we are not relevant, if the international cooperation is not relevant for the real problems that people have today, with the climate change problems, the migration problems, the poverty problems, and the pandemics, then we will not win that battle against those who want to sort of build, build uh, bastions of their own of their nations. The 21st century, Jan, is not going to be the same after this, which in some way I think we need to yet get the younger people in. Um, so we have a big agenda, and you've been talking about the importance of having the young people come in for a long time, um, which we were planning to do when we were younger. Uh, so we will we will do it won't we, we, we have to do it because they are going to be living in a very different century if we can sort of get that new thinking we would have a tremendous capacity to to mobilize when i think about the problems of today i think about war i think about pandemics i think about climate change i think about polarization but in order when i i really get hopeful when i think about women and women's role. I'm hopeful when I think about young people, which not only work for young people, but with young people. I'm hopeful when I think of the power of knowledge and science and technology, particularly when it comes to these sustainable development goals that I have here on my lap. And then I'm hopeful about the international cooperation. So these are my four hope factors, women, youth, knowledge, and uh, international cooperation. Because we, we uh, and if we can do that in an energetic, dynamic way, then we can really fight these forces that are out to, to more or less end the liberal order that we and you were about to, were creating and thought we were, you know, on a winning streak. And we aren't. We, we, we should be, but we are not sure we are. But the bottom line is that we have to look forward. Um, and there's no better group, I think, than ours to really do it because we have had the experience um, and we also now know what it's like to operate outside the official uh, lines and have still some influence on those that might listen to us. So I think this is but the beginning of these conversations between uh, our various uh, uh, you know, groups of ministers. Um, and I'm so happy that we really can keep doing this and think about the, the differences that we can make and that we need uh, to understand our principles, but also to understand the importance of flexibility in dealing with problems. New thinking in a new century. Absolutely. I okay. agree with you. Thank you, Jan. 
sounds like famous last words. Yeah. <laughs> But it was really great. Very great. Thank you. That was former Secretary of State Madeleine Albright and Jan Eliasson speaking as part of the previously recorded conversation in June 2020. Aspen Ministers Forum released a letter last month urging the United Nations and national governments to take actionable steps to address the COVID-19 pandemic. This letter, signed by Albright, Eliasson, and 25 other former foreign ministers from every region of the world, bears significant weight in the fight against COVID-19. Refer to the show notes for a link to the letter. Thank you to my colleagues who made this episode possible. Hisham Abdulhamid, Leah Betunis, Sarah Koenig, the Aspen Ministers Forum, Christina Sacconi, Jonathan Price, and Raman Ravindran. Subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app and follow at Aspen Institute on Twitter and Instagram to stay up to date with our work. Thanks for listening.